Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I am the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. A family during the Great Depression really couldn't afford very much, and uh, their little boy, the circus was coming to town, and their little boy really wanted to go to the circus. And so he said to his, he said to his dad, he said, Dad, can, can you get me a ticket? And Dad said, Son, I, I can't afford it. He said, I'll contribute what I can, but if you go out here and work, if you go out here and make some odd jobs, make some money, you might be able to get a ticket. So the little boy did that, and, and with his work and with what his dad contributed, he had enough for, uh, for the circus that was coming to town. And so he went and bought himself a ticket uh, for the circus, and on the day that the circus was coming to town, he took his ticket and he went downtown to watch the circus come into town. He's standing on the side of the road with just literally countless other people watching the circus and seeing the animals come down the street and seeing all the dancers and seeing the clowns, and he was having such a great time, and somewhere along the way, one of the clowns came up to him and he handed the clown his ticket. And he continued to watch the parade. And when the parade was over, he was so excited and he went home. And his dad said, son, why are you home so early? He said, well, the the circus is over. And he began to describe to his dad what he'd been watching. And his dad said, kind of sadly, he said, son, you didn't see the circus. You saw the circus parade. Now, that little boy, I think, can be a great illustration for us this this Christmas. I'm going to call it Christmas Eve, even though we're not quite at Christmas Eve. This Christmas Eve, we can be like that little boy. We can get caught up in the happy things of Christmas, like, uh, you know, all the great food y'all make, the beautiful ornamented trees, the, the colorful lights, the caring gifts. But we can miss, ultimately, the true joy of Christmas if we're not careful. If we're not careful, we substitute the Christmas parade for the real joy of Christmas. Now, this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about a passage of Scripture that's very familiar to all of you. As a matter of fact, I don't care whether you've ever followed Jesus or not, whether you really darken the door of a church, you most likely have heard this passage of Scripture many times. So would you turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 2, and, uh, and we're going to look at the first 14 verses, but I'm really only going to focus on, on, on a few of those verses, but I, I felt like it would be good to catch the context for what we're going to be talking about. And we've actually sung about these verses already this morning. So again, like I said, you'll be familiar with them. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that, that a census be taken in all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And Joseph also went up to Galilee from the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first son, and she wrapped him in claws and laid him in a, in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
Now, because of a governmental order, Joseph and Mary have had to travel to Bethlehem to be counted in a census because that is where Joseph was from. Now, I hate to bust anybody's bubble, but actually I'm going to look forward to it. Let's, uh, let's talk about the context of this story and let's see some things that we often have wrong in our Christmas stories. One of them is that there is no urgency in the, in the birth of Jesus. I recommended a couple of weeks ago in my, in my email that you watch The Star, it's an animated movie about the birth of Jesus, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But if you remember, she's giving birth that night when they arrive and they're trying to find a place for her. Well, that's not, that's not how it went down. While they are in Bethlehem, the days for her giving birth to Jesus were completed. So while they're there, there doesn't seem to be any urgency whatsoever in her delivering Jesus. There is no innkeeper in the story at all. And, and I hate to tell you this, but there's not even any inn in the story. Now I realize that it says in verse 7, because there was no room for them in the inn, but that's probably not the best translation of that word. That word there used, translated inn, is better rendered as guest room. You find that same word in Luke chapter 22, verse 11, where Jesus says, tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? So most likely, Joseph is actually staying in the home of some of his family while he's there to fulfill his obligation for the census. As a matter of fact, he's going to stay there for close to two years in Bethlehem. So this is not really a quick trip to Bethlehem. There most likely, when he shows up at his at his uh, relative's home, there is no spare room in their home. And so what they give to Joseph and Mary, most Bible scholars believe today, is they offered him the, the part of the house that is attached where the animals stayed. Now, if you've ever been to Maine, Ruth is not here, but maybe she'll listen to this, but I remember when Ann and I went to visit Ruth up in, in Maine, and one of the things that you noticed in Maine is that most of the big homes, the barns are attached to the house. You do not go outside because it is so cold. The barns are attached to the house, and evidently that's the picture that we have here, and, and they're offered, there's no spare room, but they're offered room to stay, most likely where the animals stayed, at least that's what most scholars um, think. When Jesus was born that night, we read that Mary wraps him in swaddling clothes. And, and I think he may look a little bit like my, my grandson, uh, Benaiah. If you, you see him right there, I think that's kind of what Jesus looked like. The next picture is even better. So uh, I don't think there was a dog in the, in the room with, <laughs> with Jesus, but uh, there may have been some other animals, but we don't even know that for, for sure. But Jesus is wrapped in, in swaddling uh, swaddling. Y'all, thank y'all for that. <laughs> yeah. This new granddad kind of just showing off his grandson. So thank y'all for that. So at some point soon after this, something supernatural happens. Not that the birth of Jesus isn't supernatural. The conception of Jesus is supernatural. The birth of Jesus is fully natural. But the conception of Jesus has been a natural. I mean, the conception, as, as, as Matt pointed out, was supernatural. But the birth of Jesus was natural. Mary had him the same way you ladies have born your children. But, but at the same time, nearby, something supernatural happens. Something that's actually terrifying. So let's keep reading in the text. Verse 8. In the same region, there was some shepherds staying out in a field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. 
Then the same region means that this is close by. This is close by where Mary has given birth to, to Jesus. And it looks like the shepherds are doing their nightly guard duty by, by you know, watching over their sheep. Maybe most of them are asleep. Maybe one or two of them are, are awake. But an angel of the Lord appears among them. And evidently, it's, it's bright. There's all kinds of light at this moment. And they are terrified. And the first word out of this angel's mouth is, Do not be afraid. Now, I imagine they were petrified. The Bible tells us that after the one angel spoke, a multitude of hosts, and hosts, by the way, are, in fact, some of your translations, uh, I think, translates this as warrior angels. These are warrior angels. And uh, so you can just imagine the terror. It says they were extremely afraid. And I imagine when the, when the angel said, do not be afraid, they're thinking to themselves, wow, that means they're not going to destroy us. Because I would imagine that was something that maybe crossed their mind. But look at what the angel says, verse, uh, verse 10. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly warrior angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is well pleased. Now the angel starts off and he said, don't be afraid because I've got some really good news that's going to be of great joy. Now the word great joy there in the Greek is karlon megalon. You may get this right, but megalon is, is the word from which we get mega. So what the angel literally says to them in our, in our English was, I've got good news of mega joy. And that is my title for this talk this morning. I've got good news of mega joy. Now, what is the good news of mega joy? Well, it's simply this. Mary has given birth to Jesus this very day. And the angel says, mega joy. So here's my question for you. And it's a question just to ponder for a minute or so or maybe not even that long, why would a little boy born to peasant parents in an obscure village out in the hillside of, of Judea, why would that be a source of mega joy? Well, in the verses that we read, I'm going to point out several things to you that are the reason why this story should be of mega joy to them and mega joy to you and me today. So let's look at, the, let's look at what the angel says and let me point them out to you. Number one, the story of Jesus is a story of mega joy because it's a true story. Because it's a true story. If I came to you this morning and I said, hey, look, you didn't know this, Micah, but I played the lottery on your behalf, and, uh, and, and you won, Micah, you won the, the mega lotto, right? Now, I know how spiritual you are, and you would have said, well, I don't play the lottery, and so, therefore, I don't want the lottery ticket. And I say, no, you won, and I want you to have it, you know? And, of course, what's going to begin to happen in you is the conflict of whether to take it or not, but let's assume you're going to take it. What's going to happen is joy is going to begin to well up in your, in your heart. I, I won. I don't have to lay another brick the rest of my life, you know? I can do all kinds. And then I say... No, I'm just kidding. I didn't really play the lottery for you. And all, whatever joy was rising, it all goes away. What would have made that a, a joyful story was it the fact that it was true. If a story's not true, then, 
then there's no joy in it. See, truth brings joy. And I want to tell you the reason why the angel says this story is mega joy is because it's a true story. And I see that in what they say to the angels. I mean, what they say to the shepherds. They say to the shepherds, today, where in the city of David? What's the city of David? The city of David is Bethlehem. In the city of David, there is born for you a savior. Now, why, why, why am I saying that this is a true story? I'm saying it's a true story because in Bethlehem was where the Messiah was to be born. This is the fulfillment of prophecy. They're saying, look, what God promised ahead of time, years and years, hundreds of years earlier, has come to pass. So in Micah 5.2, in Micah 5.2 we read, but you, O Bethlehem of Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. I could stop there, but I just have to keep reading. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time Time when she who is in labor has given birth, and then the rest of the brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he, that is this one, this child who is to be born, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. See, the reason this is a true story is because God, God promised it, God predicted it. When the Magi got to Herod and they said, we've come to see the king, we've been following that star for some time, where is he to be born? You remember Herod asked the biblical scholars of his day and they said, it's Bethlehem. He's to be born in Bethlehem. They knew that because it was one of the prophetic utterances of God that his king would come from Bethlehem. There are eight major prophecies about the birth of Jesus that were fulfilled. He was of the line of Judah. He was of the line of David. He was born of a virgin. And there were, there were many others related to the whole life of Jesus. So God brought Jesus into this realm fulfilling prophecy and it makes it a true story. And because it's a true story, it's a story of mega joy. Now, before I leave this, and, and maybe I'm, I'm going too far, but I, I just have to tell you this. Um, the reason why it's a true story is not because Jesus fulfilled all those prophecies. Or it, that's not the main reason why you should believe that this story the angels told is true. I believe the main reason you should believe this story is true because this little baby would live 33 years and then he would offer his life on a cross and he would be killed. And then he would rise from the dead. I, I want to tell you this morning, and hear me, because this is what you and I need to be telling people all the time. The ultimate proof of the truthfulness of Christmas is the resurrection of Jesus. That's what we ought to be pointing people to. Last week, in our, in our study of John's gospel, do you remember this? So they say to Jesus, by what authority are you cleaning the temple like this? By whose authority? Or show us a sign for your authority. And he said to them, I'll give you a sign. Here it is. I'm going to destroy this temple, and in three days, I'm going to put it back. And of course, they were thinking temple. He's thinking about his life. It says he was talking about himself there. He was going to resurrect from the dead. Jesus 
Jesus, at the very onset of his ministry, says the proof of who I am, and consequently the proof of Christmas this morning, is that Jesus Christ would die and rise again on the third day. Now, evidently, they'd asked Jesus for signs all throughout his ministry, and and there came a point where he said, I will give you no more sign of the truthfulness of who I am other than this. I'll give you the sign of Jonah. So in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, it says, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Folks, listen to what I'm going to tell you. Don't, don't, don't start with the Bible tells me so. Because people don't share our commitment to the word of God. They don't have the same authority based. Here's what you do. When you talk about Jesus, you appeal to the resurrection from the dead. Now you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, but the resurrection narrative comes from the Bible and that is true. But the resurrection of Jesus is something that has affected the whole entire world. And there are historical, there are historical references to the resurrection of Jesus. I'm telling you this morning, here's what you and I should, should appeal appeal to every time we're talking about the Christmas story, the resurrection, I mean, the the death, the lordship of Christ, we should appeal to his resurrection because that's what Jesus did. In Athens, when Paul is before the, and I'm not going to be able to say this word because I mess it up all the time, the council of leaders. <laughs> I'm not committed. There's a name for it, okay? But he's before this council of, 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 of philosophers there in Athens. And he tells them about Jesus and how they're, they're unknown God. He said, I saw a statue to the unknown God. I want to tell you about him. This is who he is. And in the end of his talk, he appeals to this one thing. He says, because God has raised Jesus from the dead. Now, you remember, they scoff at him because of that. That's where they begin to turn him off. But that's the appeal. That's the appeal of Paul. He takes for granted the word of God, but he appeals to the resurrection. The Christmas story is true, and that makes it of mega joy for us. Megalon, Karan, megalon joy for us because it's true, and it's true because Jesus rose from the dead. Now, doesn't hurt that God accurately predicted his, his coming, his life, his resurrection. It, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt that all that's true. It gives credence to what we believe, but point to the resurrection for it makes the story of Jesus' birth true. Number two, the story of Jesus is a story of mega joy because it's about a savior. Look at what the angel says. This is a story of great joy because a savior has been born. Let me tell you why this is mammoth joy. Two reasons. Number one, it's because of who the Savior is. And again, we've been, if you've been here for the last few weeks, we've been going over this in John's gospel because that's what we've been studying on Sundays. And John makes it so clear that Jesus was God, that the Savior that the angels are talking about is God become a creature. Now, which one of us hasn't wanted to see God? I I, I can't imagine there's not a person alive who hasn't at some point prayed on the inside of them, God, just let me see you one time. Let me just just see you one time. Remember Philip, at the end of Jesus' ministry, um, Jesus is talking and Philip says, oh yeah, yeah, show us the Father, show us God, and it's enough for us. And that's when Jesus said, hey, I am God. Here's what I want you to see. The, the, the reason why this story is such mega joy is because God fulfilled every one of our greatest desires, and that is to see God personally. God came here, and he became like us so that he might show himself to us. 
It's a story of mammoth joy because the Savior that night was God become one of us. And can I say this? Jesus didn't become a creature like you and me for just 33 years. I mean, he didn't just jump into this human body and drive around for 33 years and at the end of it jump out. No, the Bible says that Jesus took on our humanity for all eternity. It's orthodoxy in the Christian church for us to understand that this was not a temporary thing that Jesus did. This was a permanent thing that Jesus did by taking his divine nature and coupling it with our human nature and now becoming a man with two natures, God and man, the son of God and the son of man. And so in the resurrection, Jesus who has already risen from the dead, who already has a glorified body like the one we shall have, he shall reign over us on the earth forever and ever. But this was gargantuan joy, not just because of who the Savior was, but it was because of what the Savior did. Let me tell you three things that ought to just, that this joy, I think, rests on that the Savior did. Here's the first thing he did. He lived a perfect life so that he could substitute his, sin, his perfect life for my sinful, broken self. So Jesus lived this perfectly holy, godly life, never sinning, never failing, never living according to his own desires, but living according to the desires of God. I've said this so often, for those of you that are regular parts of our church family, you know, just hear it again. Jesus never sinned. You know, they poll us as people who claim to believe the book, right? And they ask us, did Jesus sin? And, and, and re, it's a ridiculously known, low number of us say, yeah, no, Jesus sinned. Jesus never sinned, everyone. He never failed God. And because of that, see, this is why it's such mega joy. Because Jesus could take his perfect life and substitute it for Jimmy's broken life. That's such joy for me. Larry, I'm not sure I'm going to get this story right, but... Is Larry even here? Good, he, he's not here to contradict me, but I think he told this story like this. But Larry, Larry told me the story of getting this drone, and, and, and I got one similar to his. I mean, he got the top of the line, I got the bottom of the line, but it's similar, right? And uh, so Larry's got this great drone, and he's telling me about when he's flying it the first time. And he set the height to be at a certain height, not realizing that trees on hills are higher than that. And so when he's bringing it back, it lands into the tree and it gets destroyed. And he hasn't, this is his first flight, I think, or his second flight. And he's destroyed his drone and he sends it back to the, uh, to the company. And if I got the story right, they don't fix it. They send him a brand new one. And I thought when he told that story, man, how, how awesome that would be. Because see, I've wrecked mine and nobody's going to send me a new one. <laughs> but, but he got a brand new drone for his broken drone. And I just thought, man, what joy that would be to have a new one in replacement. See, the joy of Jesus is that he is going to replace my broken life and give me one that's, that's perfect and it's good and it's new and it's not broken. Number two, the reason why this is such mega joy was because of what the Savior did. He, he gave me uh, his, his perfect life for my sinful life. But here's the second thing he did. He says he's going to give me his spirit to always be with me, never leave me. He, I'm, you know, his spirit's going to be with me through the good, the bad. He's going to teach me. He's going to direct my steps. He's going to be with me. So that's why I can have great joy in what he did. And the third thing that Jesus did that I think gives us such joy, okay, is, is that he humbled himself and he died. 
He humbled himself and he died. Now listen, he died like I'm going to die. And he died like you're going to die. See, my Savior died like my Shep died. And my Savior died like my father died this year. And he died like every one of your loved ones that have died. And he died like every one of us will die in time unless he comes again. I I don't know about you. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Now, maybe when I'm, I'm 80 and 90 and, and crippled up, and, or maybe when I'm 110 and I can hardly move. Yeah, I'm not even thinking that really. I'm just saying that because some of y'all have expectations of 110. If I make it to 80, I'll be thankful. But um, I want to I live. I was made for this world. I'm a creature that God made for this world, and I want to live. And this world was made for you and me. Somebody should should make a song out of that. This world was made for you and me, right? Uh, I I believe I will live again. See, the mega joy, the mega joy is a Savior has come, and he's come so that I can live again. I believe this. Though I die, yet shall I live, and I shall never die again. Those are not my words. Those are the words of this child grown up. Though you die, yet shall you live, and you shall never die again. You see, this is such mega joy news because a savior had been born to take our death. And the third, here's my third thing. I'm going back now to my my main headings, right? Why, Why is this mega joy, this story? Because it's a story that's true. It's a mega story, it's a mega joy story because it's a story about a savior. But the third thing that the angel says is because it's a story for every people group on the planet. It's for all peoples. And the word there is not individual persons. It's people group. It's ethnic groups, right? So so basically, all the Jews felt like Messiah was coming just for them. So here's the angel standing there before the shepherds, and he says, listen to me. This is good news. This This is great news. This is mega joy news because this Savior is not just for you all. This Savior is for all the peoples of the earth. These are the Jews, when, when God formulated the Jews into a nation and said, you're going to be my people, they thought that meant, hey, you're the only people I love. They got it so wrong. They were supposed to be the people that demonstrated the love of God to all the other nations of the earth. And so here's what God told, told Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to use you to be a light to all the other nations. And then he said, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. Let me read Genesis 18:17. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? This is talking about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and judgment and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what was spoken about him. So, so here's what God's intent was for Israel. It was that they would live obedient to God and all the nations would see how wonderful it was to be the, the children of God. All the nations would come to God. That That was the plan. Never, never, they never lived it out. In fact, they were always rebellious. 
Genesis 22, verse 16, God says, this is after Abraham has, has sacrificed his son or met, went to and God stopped him. He said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son. Remember his only son, Isaac. Indeed, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now the apostle Paul would take that passage in Galatians and he says, it's not seeds, plural, it's seeds, singular. It's not, I'm going to bless the nations through all of your people. I'm going to bless the nations through your one seed, and that one seed being Christ. Jesus is the Savior who was going to be born, who was born that day, and who, who, by whose birth, megalon of joy has come to all the world. Because you see, it's not just the Jews that God's going to save. It's the Arabs, and it's not just the Arabs, but it's the Greeks, and it's not just the Greeks, it's the Romans. It's a, he's a Savior for all peoples. And so Jesus says to you and me, right before he's ascending back to the Father, he says to you and me, go therefore and make disciples of what? Of all the nations. Pantata ethne, which means all the ethnic groups. We're to go and make disciples of all the ethnic groups because Jesus is a savior for the Chinese people. And he's a savior for the Canadians. And he's a savior for the Cambodians. And he's a savior for the Costa Ricans. And you get my point, don't you? He's a savior for all the peoples of the earth. So the megalotto jackpot of joy came that night because Jesus had been born. And that's a true story. And it's a true story of one who was born to be the savior of all the peoples of the earth. I find this interesting. You may not find this interesting, but I find it so interesting that when the Magi got to the, got to the, got to the house where Jesus is, and they get there, the scripture says that they rejoiced with exceeding, you get it, megalon joy, right? Now listen, listen. The, the words megalon joy do not appear in the gospels again till the end of the gospel of Luke. And in, in the gospels, period, right? Guess where they appear? You know where they appear, don't you? Listen, Luke chapter 24, verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, that is Jesus. Lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he departed from them and was carried into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with megalon joy. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. And it just, and it's something that at the coming of Jesus and at the resurrection of Jesus, the followers of Jesus experienced megalon joy. He defeated death for us so that we could live again. So, what should we do with this mammoth joy that it's ours at Christmas? Y'all hang in there with me. It's warm in here. You were right, Michael. It's warm in here. So, so don't fall asleep. Listen, this, this is my application of the mega joy, all right? So what should we do with this mega joy? I got three things God put on my heart. Number one is this. Let the mega joy of the coming of the Savior, his life, his death, his resurrection, let the mega joy temper and mitigate the sorrows and sufferings of this life. Let the mega joy temper those things that are so hard. Here's what God said to us who follow him. He said, in this life, you will have tribulations. 
our tribulation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may obtain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, he's probably, when he talks about fellowship of Jesus' sufferings, he's probably talking about suffering in persecution, okay? But he may have something broader in mind because just a few verses later, he says, for indeed... Epaphroditus was sick to the point of death. This is Philippians 2.27. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Here's what Paul says. Man, when I thought Epaphroditus was going to die, it was killing me. Because if he died, I would have had sorrow upon sorrow, and yet God had mercy on me and spared his life. See, in this life, we have all kinds of sorrows. It's biblical. But here's what the mega joy of Jesus coming ought to do for us. It ought to mitigate, it ought to temper those sorrows. Here's how Paul says to do it. Romans 8, 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's what the little video said that we watched at the very beginning of this service. That the joy of the followers of Jesus was always because they were looking ahead to what was coming. So here's what I'd say to you. In your sorrows, keep your eyes on the mega joy. Keep your eyes on the Lord Jesus, who is the Savior of all peoples and who has risen from the dead. Jesus himself said, John 16, 20, truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned to joy. But your grief will be turned to joy. That's why the message that night was such mega joy. Because there's coming this day where our grief is turned to joy. In, in the Old Testament, it's Nehemiah who gave us the phrase. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's the one who carries us in our sorrows. If I could be so bold and speak from my personal experience, I think I have a right to speak to this. And in my sorrows over Shep's death, I'm telling you, it is the mega joy of Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection that has carried me and sustained me through all of this. It's why I am telling you this and not crying, because he has carried me and is carrying me and will continue to carry me. And you know, and if it just so happens that one of my other children die or my wife dies, and we're all going to die, but if they die before me, he will carry me then. Because the mega joy of the coming of Jesus sustains us in our sorrow if we look to him. Number two, number two, let the mega joy of the Savior's life, death, and resurrection, let that mega joy permeate your being, okay? Let it permeate your being. And here's what I mean by that. If we truly have experienced mega joy, why don't we let that joy formulate who we are? Why don't I let that joy like leaven permeate my life? I don't know about you. I don't want to be Eeyore. <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought you might laugh at that, but I say that not to make you laugh. I say because I don't want to be Eeyore. Do you want to be Eeyore? None of us want to be Eeyore. Why so downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. 
You know, and I recognize that we have different temperaments, but I don't care what your temperament is. You don't have to be negative. You don't have to be critical. Why are we always finding the worst in people? Why are we always believing the worst about people? Why are, always, why are we always looking at the negative side rather than maybe hoping in the positive side? Why doesn't the mega joy of our hearts change us to happy people from glum, gloomy people? And I'm not really talking about you. I'm really talking about myself. Recently, I was at a conference, and bless his little heart, and Michael Tuck films me in the middle of that uh, conference while I'm participating in something. And I get to see myself, and I'm flabbergasted at what I see. I really am. It, it, it affected me profoundly because I saw in this video this, this grumpy old man. I didn't really feel grumpy, but I, I tell you, I, I just looked so grumpy. And you can say, oh, it's just because that was soon after Shep died. No, it really wasn't. It was because I wasn't letting the mega joy of Jesus permeate my life into this person who's filled with joy. David said it right in his, in his welcome to us this morning. We can choose joy. I don't have to live. I, and especially, why can't I choose it with such mega joy here? How come I can't choose it? Why doesn't it permeate my life? I want it to permeate my life. Why can't we all be like Earl and Brenda Weech? If you don't know them, you ought to make it a point to get to know them because joy permeates their lives. Number three, these are my applications. Let the mega joy of the Savior coming, his life, death, and resurrection, let it transform your perspective. And in this final, in this final application, here's what I mean by change your perspective. Change, let joy change you from a taker to a giver. From, a, from one who holds on to one who lets go. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He's writing to them, and he says this in chapter 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Now listen, during a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy, not the same words, but it's got to be the same thing, their mega joy, their abundant joy, and their extreme poverty, they worked together in a wealth of generosity on their part. Out of their poverty and out of their extreme joy, he says, what flowed out of them was giving, generosity. In the next chapter, Paul exhorts the same believers. He says, he says when you give, give hilariously because God loves a cheerful giver. The word is hilarious. And, and that's, a, that's a synonym for joy. So here's what God says. God loves a joyful giver. God loves one who gives out of the joy of his life. That's, that, let joy change your perspective so you become not a taker, but one who gives. you gives. And can I, say, can I just remind you, we have massive joy. We have mega joy because Jesus is the savior of all peoples. We should be givers, not takers. I shared this this past Wednesday at the, at the kids' program but let me say it again for those of you who weren't here. The value of a life is always measured by how much of it is given away. I loved that. It impacted me. The value of a life is always measured in by how much of it is given away. In the, or the, the, the illustration of that was a funeral. 
You go to a funeral, and, and what do you, what, what the person whose life has been given away, bit, I'm not talking about money, who's been given away bit by bit, given themselves to help and serve and bless, and you know, others, that's the person you go to their funeral, and everybody's weeping, and everybody's praising God for them. You go to the funeral of a selfish person, people don't come, or if they do come, they don't say anything. The measure of a successful life is going to be seen and how much of that life is given away. And I really want to challenge you to be someone who out of the massive joy, the, the mega joy of, of the birth of Jesus and the coming of Jesus, give your life away bit by bit. That's what Jesus did, right? Right, everybody? He gave his life away completely, holding nothing back. This, this past week, Joe Olson came to see me and and uh, so Joe and I are sitting in my office. He says, Jimmy, he doesn't know what I'm going to be speaking on. We haven't even talked about any of this. He says, Jimmy, I want to tell you something God showed me, taught me. And, and this is what he says to me. He said, this made a profound impact on me. And then he shares this with me. I asked him permission to share it. But this is what he said. He said, I remember the day that God spoke to me and said, those who take and never give will be those who die and never live. I tell you what, that, I, I'm sitting there listening. I, my sermon, my, my notes are pretty well done. And I remember thinking, wow, I want to add Joe's words to my talk. Because that's what I'm trying to say. Give your life away in joy. Now, let's go back to the beginning of this talk. Those are my three applications for you. But let's go back to the beginning of this talk. And I said the story of the birth of Jesus was mega joy. It was mega joy because it's a true story was mega joy because it was a story about a savior. It's a mega joy because it was a, it was a savior for all the peoples, all the people groups of the earth. But there's another reason that it's mega joy. Look back at the text. Here's my last reason why the story of Jesus is mega joy. It's mega joy because Jesus is a savior who came for you. Not just for all the peoples of the earth. Not just for all the people groups of the earth. He's a savior that came for you. Look at verse 11. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you. It's plural. He's talking to all the shepherds that are listening. There has been born for you in the city of David, a savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. Man, I love that I can say this this morning and mean it with all my heart. Jesus came for you. Every one of you listening to my voice, Jesus came for you. He came and died for you that you might experience mega joy. Let's bow our heads. So just, I ask you to bow your heads just so you might focus a little bit more attentively to what I'm going to say now. But, but there's, there's at least a couple of invites from this story in that Palestinian wilderness that night when, when the angels spoke to those shepherds. And the application, let me, let me first speak to those of you who are not yet followers of Jesus. I'm not talking about whether you believe in the truth of Jesus. I'm talking about those of you that don't follow Jesus. I want to invite you today to follow him. I want to invite you today to receive him as the savior who brings mega joy to your heart. And so if you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, 
And, and you know if you're a follower of Jesus because it affects your life. You follow him and, and you turn away from things that you know are not him. Because you can't follow him into all these things that are not him. So I want to invite you to follow Jesus. I don't know if the Spirit of God has spoken to you, but has he borne witness with his word this morning? Are you here today and you want to follow Jesus? Here's what I'd like you to do. Just lift your hand up high and hold it up there and let me see it. Is there anybody here who wants to follow Jesus today for the very first time? Known all along, but you're not a follower, but you want to follow today. Anybody? Lift your hand. All right. So the rest of this invite is for all the rest of us. Or maybe not, but hopefully. So here's my invite. Would you let the mega joy of Jesus permeate your heart, change your perspective, and mitigate your sufferings by keeping your eye on him, by letting the joy of the Lord fill your heart, by choosing joy in every instance. I'd really like to ask you, I'm gonna be quiet for 30 seconds, a minute, and, and let you talk to God, but would you talk to God in the next you know, little bit of time, would you talk to God about anything that he said to you about your life as it relates to the mega joy of Jesus that he gives to us? Father, hear our prayers this morning as we lift them from our hearts and help us, Lord, to let the, the great joy of Christmas change us. Let you, by your Spirit, change us, Lord. Change us into people who are filled with joy and whose joy overflows on others in generosity and giving and not taking and, and just being this person who's not critical and negative but positive and encouraging simply because so many ways, Savior, you, that's how you were, and we want to be like you. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to pastorjimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing here locally in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.